Caucus Media Networks. This is America's First News. This morning with your host, Gordon Deal. Trump romps in Iowa. Good morning. I'm Mike Gavin in for Gordon Deal along with Nicole Murray. It's Tuesday, January 16th, 2024, and here's what we have for you this hour. Former President Donald Trump got more than 50% of the Republican vote in the Iowa caucuses, something that's never been done before, and beat both Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley by at least 30 points. Sub-zero winter weather turned deadly and snow and ice made a major mess as another Arctic blast is set to make its way south from Canada. Iran-backed rebels attack and damage a U.S.-owned ship in the Red Sea, while Iran itself is taking credit for a missile attack in Iraq that killed four people. And how TikTok is luring some people into giving up their life savings. Our investigation looks into something called dark patterns alongside the parasocial relationships that fans of this game are forming with their favorite influencers that are pushing them to spend more. Sikandra Parmar of Business Insider with details on how regular people are getting sucked into the world of TikTok live streamers. That's coming up later in the hour. Former President Donald Trump cruised to a 30-point victory in the chilly Iowa caucuses, the opening salvo of the 2024 GOP nominating contest. The route further cemented Trump's status as the most likely candidate to face off against President Biden in November's general election. The typically divisive Trump now says it's time for everyone to come together. I really think this is time now for everybody, our country, to come together. We want to come together. Uh, Whether it's Republican or Democrat or liberal or conservative, it would be so nice if we could come together. Iowans also brave snowy sub-zero conditions to weigh in on which of the former president's remaining Republican rivals, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis or former South Carolina governor turned United Nations Ambassador Nikki Haley had earned the right to be the GOP's top Trump alternative going forward. DeSantis won by a slim margin, taking 21 percent of the vote to Haley's 19. In spite of all of that that they threw at us, everyone against us, we've got our ticket punched out of Iowa. Trump set sky-high expectations for his performance ahead of caucus night, urging volunteers Sunday in Des Moines to, quote, see if we can get to 50 percent support, a bar no GOP candidate had ever cleared. And he appears to have done that with 51 percent of the vote, a 30 percentage point win over DeSantis. Previously, the biggest GOP margin of victory in Iowa was Bob Dole's nearly 13 point landslide over Pat Robertson in 1988. Up next, the New Hampshire primary one week from today. Republican voters in Hancock County, Iowa, largely rejected Donald Trump eight years ago, giving him less than a fifth of the vote in the GOP caucuses. And as recently as a year ago, some party faithful there and elsewhere in Iowa seemed eager to move on, saying they were tired of the former president's chaos and liabilities. Last night, the former president got a whopping 65 percent of the vote there. And that, according to Wall Street Journal national political reporter John McCormick, is an illustration of Trump's resilience. John joins us now for more from West Des Moines, Iowa. John, take us through what you found. Before the holidays, I, I spent some time in Hancock County, uh, Iowa. It's in the north-central part of the state. And uh, one of the reasons I picked it is it's, it's a county that, um, you know, was was initially quite skeptical of Donald Trump. He, uh, he only received about 18 percent of the vote there in 2016 when the last GOP caucuses were competitive. Um, and Ted Cruz had his biggest uh, victory in this particular county, and so that the gap between Ted Cruz and Donald Trump was was the greatest of any Iowa county. 
And so I went there and talked to lots of folks. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty clear Trump is probably going to win this county, and he's probably going to win Iowa as well. Um, but it, I talked to people about sort of, you know, why they remain so strongly supportive of him, um, you know, despite the fact that he's facing 91 criminal charges and, and uh, you know, does come with a fair bit of baggage. Um, so we just talked to lots of voters there about him, uh, about their feelings for the caucuses. It's an interesting place. It's a very rural place. Um, and it sort of, you know, illustrates why Trump's hold on the Republican Party is so strong. Um, rural America is really sort of the backbone of his of his support. And, uh, you know, the folks in this county are, you know, overwhelmingly supportive of him. And it's not like the support for Trump's been unwavering. Some Iowans seemed ready to move on from him at one point, but are now back in his corner. Yeah, I, I spend a lot of time reporting in Iowa. Um, it's probably the number one place that I go to, actually. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I did several stories in the le- in the years leading up to the caucuses. Another, you know, part of Iowa that's very conservative in northwest Iowa, I, I focused on Sioux County one time. And you know, I went there, and, and people did seem very open to, uh, you know, turning the page. They said, you know, we love Trump. You know, he should probably put his face on Mount Rushmore, but, you know, it's probably time to move on, and he comes with a lot of baggage. And, and it, as, as sort of, um, you know, time went by, those those folks seemed to kind of come back to Trump. Um, DeSantis, you know, was of interest to people early on, and, and there were other candidates who were, of interest to people early on, but ultimately it does seem like a lot of the past Trump supporters did end up coming home to him. And has been the case with Trump in the past. A lot of voters seem to be willing to hold their nose over the stuff about him they don't like if he's still the best chance to unseat Biden. Yeah, I, I think I think one thing that has really helped Trump, and I, I detected it in this county as well, is that um, you know once some of these general election polls started coming out showing that you know, Trump was either tying or even beating Biden in hypothetical general election matchups that seemed to give some of these, you know, past Trump supporters a little bit more confidence in him that they they felt they could stick with him and not necessarily look for another flavor. And it, one thing that really struck me up there is that voters said, you know, we know everything there is to know about this guy. There aren't going to be any more surprises. The Democrats aren't going to be able to dig up anything new on this guy that isn't already known. And even with all of that baggage, he still manages to tie or beat Biden. So, um, you know, some of them suggested to me, well, it might be riskier to go with a DeSantis or riskier to go with a Nikki Haley. We don't quite know her as well. And, um, you know, the, the Democrats may find something out about her. And so there was sort of a a comfort level uh, with Trump, even though he does have a lot of baggage. You also wrote about how often the winners in Iowa and New Hampshire win the nomination. You know, Trump didn't even win in Iowa uh, back in in 2016. What did you find there? Yeah, no, he, uh, I mean, he finished a a fairly close second. um, And then, of course, went on to win the nomination in uh, in 2016. So, yeah, Iowa is not always... uh, definitive. Uh, if you talk to Iowans, they'll tell you our job is not to pick the nominee, but to, to winnow the field down to two or three people. Thanks, John. John McCormick of The Wall Street Journal joining us this morning. 
At least five people have died amid ongoing dangerously cold temperatures that have covered much of the U.S., including the Midwest. The local NBC affiliate reported that two people died in Portland, Oregon, in that area following high winds that knocked down trees. In Idaho, authorities reported that a skier died Friday after he was caught in an avalanche. In Milwaukee, the medical examiner is investigating three deaths related to hypothermia. According to the National Weather Service, sub-zero air temperatures and even colder wind chills will carry through today before another Arctic blast is due later in the week. The Des Moines Register reported that Sunday was the coldest day in Iowa in a number of years, with temps reaching over 20 degrees below zero in some parts of the Hawkeye State from the pre-dawn hours. Des Moines Mayor Connie Bozen said her city was prepped for last night's caucuses. Well, we have done everything possible to make sure we got the 20 inches of snow that we got this week cleared. And as everybody's been commenting on, the below zero temperatures are it's cold. More than 3,100 flights within, into, or out of the U.S. were canceled yesterday, and more than 9,000 were delayed, according to flight tracking site flightaware.com. Over 50,000 customers in Oregon are without power, and over 21,000 in Louisiana. And while Western New Yorkers were throwing snowballs at the Bill Steelers game, New York City was set to break its 700-day snowless streak with a good shot at getting more than an inch in Central Park by the end of the day today. Iran has claimed responsibility for missile strikes that exploded near the U.S. consulate in Iraq's semi-autonomous Kurdish region late last night. Iran's Revolutionary Guard said they targeted, quote, spy headquarters and the gathering of anti-Iranian terrorist groups near, near Erbil, the capital and the most populated city in the region. More from this morning's Dom Savino. Four civilians were killed and six more were wounded in the attack, which saw 10 missiles rain down in the area near the U.S. consulate. The dead include a prominent local businessman and his family members. Another rocket hit the house of a senior Kurdish intelligence official, and a third struck a Kurdish intelligence center. A U.S. official told the AP, no U.S. facilities were struck or damaged. Neither the new U.S. consulate building nor the U.S. troop base at Erbil International Airport appear to have been targeted. Mike? Thanks, Dom. Meanwhile, Iran-backed Houthi rebels attached, attacked and damaged a commercial ship Monday owned by Eagle Bulk Shipping, an American company. U.S. forces are said to be bracing for much larger retaliatory attacks from the Houthis, who began targeting ships after the war in the Gaza Strip began. 20 minutes after the hour now, here's Nicole Murray. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. Former President Donald Trump won the Iowa caucuses last night with the largest margin in history. The Associated Press declared Trump victorious a half hour after votes began, Trump addressing his Iowa supporters. I want to congratulate Ron and Nikki for having a, a, good, a good time together. We're all having a good time together. And... Uh, I think they both actually did very well. The Associated Press reported Trump with 51% of the Iowa Republican votes, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis with 21%, and former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley with 19%. The GOP contest moves to New Hampshire next, which will host the first primary on January 23rd. Number two. Extremely cold weather with below freezing temperatures, ice and snow swept across southern United States yesterday, resulting in several governors declaring states of emergencies. At least four people died in Oregon, including two from suspected hypothermia. Three homeless also passed in Wisconsin. Kentucky Governor Andy Beshear on the severity of the storm. Now's not the time to go camping or to choose uh, to, to do something else, especially uh, outside. So, so it's really important that people take 
uh, this uh, seriously. Iowa experienced life-threatening cold temperatures of 10 degrees below zero. Chicago with minus nine degrees and below 24 in Montana. Number three. A volcano in southwestern Iceland has erupted with spews of molten lava destroying several houses in a nearby evacuated town. The blast of lava began Sunday, making it the second evol- volcanic eruption in the area this month. Scientists say it is difficult to predict how long the eruption will last. Emergency workers have been building defensive walls that have stopped much of the lava flow. No one has been killed. The Buffalo Bills defeated the Pittsburgh Steelers during a snowy match yesterday, 31-17 in a game that was postponed by more than 27 hours. Bills head coach Sean McDermott speaks after his team's wild card win. Bills Mafia showed up. I know that there wasn't always uh, clean seats to sit on, uh, but it didn't seem like it mattered to them. So uh, I applaud, applaud Bill's Mafia for, for showing up the way that they did. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers also defeated the NFC champion Philadelphia Eagles 32-9. to Oh, Nicole, you know how happy I was when I woke up this morning and I saw that the Eagles lost 32-9. to Couldn't watch it, unfortunately, but uh, just filled me with great joy as I dusted the snow off my car this morning. I'm not going to lie, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> now I know why we hired you. Thanks, Nicole. For all the ones who get it done, Granger is always there to help. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, 24-7 support, free access to product specialists and experienced staff at over 250 local branches. Plus, they provide real-time product availability online and have sourcing specialists who can help you track down hard-to-find items. And their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call 1-800-GRANGER, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. TikTok isn't all fun and games. It can be addicting and in some cases dangerous to talk about that. We're joined by Takendra Parmar, tech features editor at Business Insider. Takendra, talk about what you found here. What our investigation found and what researchers uh, say is TikTok is using design patterns commonly found in online gambling and online gaming that's shown to induce addictive behavior. One of those things is called monetized rivalries, which is this idea that you are leaning on people's desire for competitiveness and tying that directly to a mon- like your monetary spending in order to get people to spend more. So, for example, TikTok fans have to spend money in order to get their favorite influencers to win this battle. That's what a monetized rivalry is doing over there. Um, and then they rank you according to your how, how much money you spent. Um, some, some of the fans of this have described the rankings to be a status symbol almost. Um, and so all of these things are you know, pushing people to spend more on the platform. But then on the other hand, you also have and you also have design decisions that help people forget how much they're spending. These are called microtransactions. TikTok essentially has you change, exchange your U.S. dollars for a fake currency called coins and then has you buy these gifts in, in these coins. Um, obviously, you're spending real money, but your brain can't process what it means to spend 30,000 TikTok coins on an emoji of, let's say, a you know, screeching falcon. Um, you know, don't quote me on the numbers there, but like, that's essentially what's going on mm-hmm. over there. So this is what's causing people, as you mentioned earlier, to you know, get so addicted that they're losing their inheritances on the system, that they're forgetting to 
you know, pay their bills because they're they, they're more invested in gifting their favorite influencers and sometimes even forgetting to spend money on groceries and eating. Speaking with Takendra Parmar, tech features editor at Business Insider. And uh, when some TikTokers lose, ba- lose battles, they often berate their followers or throw tantrums during a match. So you gave them money and now they get mad at you. And now you might give them more money to make them feel better. I mean, you, you must be addicted to be engaging in this behavior. Yeah, I mean, that's the other side of this, the parasocial relationships that really keep people coming back. And this is what a lot of people said to us is these games, they almost turn, the communities around them almost turn into your families. And a lot of these influencers will, you know, create these communities online around themselves using Discord channels, WhatsApp groups, um, to to get their fans in one place where they feel like they're getting the special attention that makes them want to come back and give them more. Um, so, it, you know, one part of it is these user design decisions. The other part of it is the human element where there are a lot of lonely people out there that are looking for a connection. And if you can capitalize quite literally on that connection, it's a pretty lucrative way to make money for a social media company. Yeah, so my opening stuff. Thanks to Kendra. To Kendra Parmar from Business Insider joining us this morning. We're coming up on 30 minutes after the hour now. You're listening to This Morning, America's First News. An all-star team of the world's best journalists bring you the facts each and every morning. This is America's First News. This Morning with Gordon Deal. 34 minutes after the hour, Mike Gavin in for Gordon Deal along with Nicole Murray. On this Tuesday, January 16th, here are some of the stories we're following for you today. Trump takes Iowa with a record percentage of the vote. Extreme winter weather continues its iron grip on much of the country. Iran and its allies continue to launch missile attacks in the Red Sea and Iraq. Georgia DA Fonnie Willis has defended her hiring of Nathan Wade as lead prosecutor in the election fraud case against Donald Trump. The FAA is investigating two Boeing jets that collided in Chicago last night. Succession and the Bear are the big winners at the Emmys. Wrestling legend Hulk Hogan stepped in to help a teen girl in Florida after she flipped her car over the weekend. And the Peloton group peddling kindness around the Bay State. That story in about 20 minutes. As the attacks against U.S. and other vessels in the Red Sea continue unabated, and now the latest news about Iran striking an area near the U.S. consulate in Iraq, questions about how much America and its allies should retaliate grow louder. For more, we bring in Joe Puccino, a retired U.S. Army colonel who served for 27 years, including tours of duty in the Middle East and Ukraine. He's also the founder of Joe Puccino Consulting in Virginia. Colonel, let's talk about these attacks in the Red Sea by the Iran-backed Houthis. What do you make of those? Well, we're seeing really what we were seeing was an escalation there in the Red Sea. And and what this is all a part of, you know, you talk about the Houthis in the Red Sea. There's also attacks by Shia groups on American bases in Iraq and Syria. Of course, the war in Gaza. What you're seeing at the nexus of all of this, at the heart of all of this, is Iran. And right now, the United States is in a low-grade war with Iran. Iran has subcontracted all the fighting to these Shia groups, to include the Houthis. And we struck hard. It was a good strike on the coast of Yemen, hit the Houthi capabilities, their radar sites, their drone facilities, their missile silos. So we struck hard there, and now the Houthis have initiated another attack. So, you know, the next sequence to this, the next piece, I believe, and I've been advocating for this for about a month, 
is we have to strike inside of Iran. There's some good targets there, Iranian bases. We hit Iran, give them a bloody nose there, and that'll force them to back down because they don't care about these Shia groups they've subcontracted the fighting off to. What they do care about is consolidating, preserving the regime, their assets, and their country. So there has been uh, a lot of talk ever since this started, uh, ever since these attacks by the Houthis started, about trying not to escalate the uh, the war further uh, than it has been in the Middle East. Uh, but you know, you're advocating going directly at Iran, which would obviously would broaden the war and escalate it further. Uh, but you believe that's that's needed in this situation. You've got to go up to get them to back down. So think of it this way. Has anything we've done, Mike, has anything we've done caused this to back down? Has anything we've done caused this thing to de-escalate? No, it hasn't. And what Iran understands, Iran understands offense. They understand power. And right now they know, they believe the Biden administration does not have the will does not have the stomach to hit inside Iran. Look, nobody wants a full-on war with Iran, okay? But Iran also doesn't want a full-on war between Iran and the United States because they wouldn't survive it. So, you know, in order to get this thing to reset, you strike inside of Iran, you also threaten through a third party, you know, you go through Qatar, who has communication with Iran, you threaten additional attacks, you get Iran to pull these Shia groups in, bring them in, and then you can reset this situation. So you believe that uh, that hitting back, uh, sort of punching in the punching Iran in the nose, uh, would not result in some sort of major retaliation by Iran, but rather a, a quieting of the situation in the Red Sea. That's right, and, and you know when you're talking about these complicated issues of force, particularly in the most volatile region in the world, in the Middle East, right? There's risks and there's trade-offs. There's risks with everything you do. There's trade-offs with everything you do, okay? And I believe, you know, having studied Iran and understanding the history of this regime going back to 1979 and what they respond to, what they don't respond to, I just believe you assume more risk by being passive. You assume more risk by just sitting back in the defense and occasionally hitting these these Shia groups, I think you've got to take it to the nerve center. You know, it's the, the Israelis call it the, the the octopus. You know, they've got the, you going after the tentacles of the opt- octopus, cutting off the arms and legs of the octopus. You're not hitting the head of the octopus. I think we've got to hit the head of the octopus here, and I think that you know. That is, you know, a good example of this. You, you look at uh, in 2020, early 2020, we struck Qasem Soleimani. We struck down a, the, the big-time leader, big-time Iranian Quds Force leader in Baghdad, and it caused Iran to back down. You look at in the 1980s, 1987 in particular, you know, the, the tanker wars, Operation Praying Mantis, we hit their oil platforms in the Arabian Gulf, we, we knocked half of their navy out of the water and Iran backed down from that, okay? And so what they understand is they understand force and they understand will and they understand American might. They know, look, we have the capability to do all this stuff. They know that. 
They just don't think we're going to do it. Thanks for the insight, Joe. Retired Army Colonel Joe Buccino joining us this morning. I'll tell you, absolutely impeccable timing by Gordon Deal going to Florida for the last week while everybody else in the country freezes their butts off and we're brushing snow off of our cars this morning. But the good news is that we have Dom Savino for another day to do the mic drop. Good morning, Dom. Good morning, Mike. We told you yesterday about all the fun Bills fans had as they got paid to shovel their stadium out from the latest Buffalo Blizzard. With the hard work over with, Bills Mafia was in peak form for the main event. The Bills hosting the Pittsburgh Steelers last night in the opening round of the NFL playoffs. The shenanigans started outside the stadium. Footage posted to social media shows three fanatics scale a 10-foot mountain of snow just to use it as a diving board to jump through a folding table that had been set on fire. Inside Highmark Stadium, it appears Bills Mafia missed a few spots. There were videos of fans from both teams forcing their way through waist-high snow that filled some aisles, including one instance of a Bills fan's son using his hands to clear two seats for himself and his Steelers fan dad. But things were less sweet once the game started. Bills Mafia hurled snowballs at the Steelers most of the night, nearly hitting receiver George Pickens on at least two occasions as he tried to catch what would have been touchdowns in the end zone. The Bills wound up winning 31-17. We certainly don't condone throwing snowballs on the field uh, during play, but all that pregame Bills Mafia <laughs> stuff, I, I'm here for it. Again, now I didn't realize they were setting tables on fire now. That's like a new element they seem to have added to the festivities. I, I imagine it's a, a postseason upping of the game yeah. from Bills Mafia. Yeah, you, you got you got to do that, and uh, good, good job, Bills Mafia. Good job by the Bills winning the game. Yeah, for sure. And Mike, who knew a venue in downtown Los Angeles could be a place where everybody knows your name? The Peacock Theater hosted the 75th Primetime Emmy Awards last night, and as part of the milestone festivities, the ceremony paid tribute to some of the great TV shows in America's history, including, of course, Cheers. Some of the stars of the cast gathered around a replica of the iconic Boston bar built right on the stage. Here's how the heartwarming moment sounded on Fox with, in order, Ted Danson, John Ratzenberger, Kelsey Grammer, Rhea Perlman, and George Wendt. Ah, this feels really nice to be here in front of all of you. Thank you. Uh, look, Ted, don't you just think of it as a long overdue class reunion? Yeah? And being together brings back some great memories of a show we're all very proud of. Yeah, and if somebody has the envelope, we can present the award. Uh, yeah, uh, that hey. one rings. Hey. Oh, <laughs> Love it. The cast presented the awards for Best Directing and Best Writing in a Comedy Series. Both awards went to the night's big winner, The Bear. I'm sorry I missed that. I was sleeping when that went down. I loved Cheers back in the day. I remember watching the finale. You were like a baby, maybe not even a baby Probably at that not. point. <laughs> but I appreciate you uh, bringing this up for us old people, uh, Dom. You're Thank very welcome. Thank I, you. I got to go to the Boston bar, the replica, or the current one a few yeah. years ago on vacation. Cool stuff. I did that too. Lots of fun. I got pictures of me sitting at the uh, the replica bar. Uh, not, not the real one, unfortunately. Thanks very much. If you still have landline phone service, you may have noticed that your monthly bills have been skyrocketing. That's because the FCC no longer regulates copper lines and phone companies are jacking up the price of their service. UMA is an internet home phone service that lets you keep enjoying the safety and peace of mind of a home phone without paying an arm and a leg. In fact, with a one-time purchase of the UMA Tello, you get internet home phone service for free. All you pay are applicable taxes and fees. 
Unlike mobile phones, UMA has address-based 911, so dispatchers will know exactly where to find you in an emergency. In the event you call 911, UMA can send a text alert to loved ones. UMA even includes a free mobile app so you can take your home number on the go. And don't worry, you can keep your home phone number for a one-time fee or get a new one for free. Setup is easy. It takes less than 10 minutes. Stop paying too much for home phone service. Visit uma.com slash Gordon Deal today to get a special discount. That's O-O-M-A dot com slash Gordon Deal. Gordon off for one more day. I'm Mike Gavin. From slippery sidewalks to way too long spent shoveling out in the cold, fresh snow brings with it fresh challenges. Slips and falls account for the majority of accidents, more than 25% of all injury claims each year, and snow shoveling sends thousands of Americans to the emergency room each year. USA Today has a few tips for handling snow and ice safely. First, do your best penguin impression when walking over the ice. Wear slip-resistant footwear, take short shuffling steps like our friends the penguins do to maintain your balance and keep your arms at your sides. When you're shoveling snow, make sure to just warmly, of course, and warm up your muscles and joints for 10 minutes before you jump in to shovel. If possible, shovel the snow when it's newly fallen, which will be lighter. Bend with your knees, lift with your legs, and tighten your stomach muscles, which will provide better support for your back. And be sure to pace yourself, take breaks, and drink plenty of water. Eight minutes now in front of the hour, here's Nicole Murray. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. Former President Donald Trump won the Iowa caucuses last night with the largest margin in history. The Associated Press reported Trump with 51% of the Iowa Republican votes, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis with 21%, and former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley with 19%. Haley taking the stage in Des Moines. Republicans have lost the popular vote in seven of the last eight presidential elections. That's nothing to be proud of. We should want to earn the support of a majority of Americans. Vivek Ramaswamy, who was at 8%, dropped out of the race. The remaining Republican candidates will head to New Hampshire next on January 23rd. Number two. New footage has emerged showing the explosion at the site of the Arizona hot air balloon crash that killed four people and critically injured another. Aerial footage shows flames, a dark trail of smoke, and firefighters arriving to hose down the area. Eloy Mayor Micah Powell. An accident occurred with a hot air balloon where 13 passengers were inside there. Eight of them were skydivers, uh, one operator of the hot air balloon, and four passengers um, that were inside uh, the hot air balloon gondola. The exact cause of the crash is still being investigated by the FAA. Number three. Several explosions have been reported near the U.S. consulate in Erbil, Iraq. The Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps quickly took responsibility for the attacks, saying it was targeting the spy headquarters and extremist groups in the region. Four civilians were killed and six were injured. ABC News confirms none were American. The Iraqi government will hold a security meeting today regarding Iranians' violation of the security agreement in place between the two countries. The Federal Aviation Administration is investigating the collision of two Boeing jets at O'Hare International Airport yesterday evening. The left wingtip of an all-Nippon Airways Boeing 777 clipped a Delta Airlines Boeing 717 while parking at a gate. No injuries were reported. 
A Chicago man is suing dozens of women for $75 million after calling him clingy, a ghoster, and an overall bad date on Facebook. 32-year-old Nikki D'Ambroso said his name, photo, and private information was shared on the Are We Dating the Same Guy Facebook page. He claims he was subject to defamation, doxing, and an invasion of privacy. Sounds like everybody is sort of in the wrong here, right? <laughs> he probably was bad to them, and then they're being kind of going over the top by putting all his information out online. If you want to act like a clown you're going to get treated like a clown don't uh, be doing i don't blame those girls at all yeah like, those facebook groups are popping up for a reason yeah well they might be losing some money because of it in court it sounds like well the facebook groups are private uh-huh. we'll see <laughs> <laughs> thanks nicole two restaurant employees in northeastern massachusetts showed up to work expecting a slow but fairly typical sunday morning shift it turned out to be anything but when they got a tip of more than seven thousand dollars usa today says that reza zan and nicole bayardi were working at the family-owned Red's Kitchen and Tavern in Peabody when they got a large table of 40 people from Wicked Smart Zone, a local Peloton group who are known for tipping big at restaurants around the state. They say the group was secretive and left, quote, a big wad of hundreds while they were serving other tables in the main dining area. They described the group as pleasant and said the service went smoothly, but nothing could have prepared them for the monster $7,200 tip, which they split among themselves and their co-workers. That'll do it for this hour. For Nicole Murray and Dom Savino, I'm Mike Gavin. Thanks for listening. Do This Morning, America's First News.